Welcome to the Tour Coach here in 2023, another year of the stories, the conversations, the roundtable discussions that come from my travels on the PGA and the Corn Ferry Tours, along with my teaching down at Old Palm and Palm Beach Gardens, or here in my studio in Mobile, Alabama. These are the stories and the guests and the people that I run into that I bring to you to help you enjoy playing the game of golf, learning about the game of golf, or learning how to teach the game of golf. I hope you'll enjoy my travels, my conversations, and you enjoy being on this journey with me. But I also want to remind you that this journey and bringing it to you wouldn't be possible without a special thanks to our longtime sponsors. First and foremost, Strixon and Cleveland Golf, Vineyard Vines, Bushnell Golf, and Buick GMC. Without those, the tour coach and all these travels wouldn't be possible, wouldn't be possible to bring these conversations to you. I hope you'll enjoy sitting in with me on another version here of the tour coach. All right, so joining me here on the tour coach, we've been, I've been trying to put this one together for a few weeks because uh, I thought it would be great to have him sit here with me on the lesson key. Uh, fun to now introduce him as Hall of Famer, golf instructor, Hall of Fame, Mike McGetrick, Golf Magazine, Top 100 teacher, all the accolades over all the years. Mike, first of all, congratulations. Uh, so well-deserved, and thanks for taking the time to sit in with me and looking forward to helping some folks with their game and with their teaching careers by by picking your brain a little. Yeah, I'm looking forward to spending time with you. I enjoy listening to your podcast, and I'm glad we could finally get together to do this. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun, you know, and I've really enjoyed doing this, and I'm always blown away by, two, like, you know, I thought when you started doing this, I'd have, like, my mom and dad and one other person listen, right, <laughs> you know, and uh, but, how you know, we get so many folks, you know, listen each week, and so many of them are young teachers or aspiring teachers and a lot of aspiring golfers that are, you know, like the authentic, like, just two teachers sitting and talking about, like, how do we make people better or the things we've learned, and uh for me though i use it it's it's a uh, you know it's selfish cuz i love the opportunity to sit with somebody like you for 30 40 minutes and pick your brain and uh man you you've been doing it a good long time you've had a ton of success been around a ton of great players worked with a bunch of great players uh how the heck did all this start for you you know it's interesting uh, growing up i played golf my dad was a very avid golfer back in his early days he was a scratch golfer and he was really the one that introduced me to golf we mm-hmm. i grew up in the state of washington uh called the tri cities kennewick pasco richland and we lived on a golf course tri- called tri city country club and uh it was a par 65 it was more of an executive golf course no uh practice facility other than a putting green and three little nets that you could hit into to warm up before you played and (laughs) you know so everybody talks about how they started golf when they were five or seven years old I did the same but really didn't get serious into golf till my later years really into high school and it was really you know my dad introduced me to the game and at the time, I wasn't serious about it. I played other sports, and I actually skied competition water skiing, and that was my passion at the time. Really? And really what got me into golf was I used to jump uh, water skiing, and what got me into golf was, you know, I just beat my body up so much, I just said enough's enough, and then decided to have the passion for golf. And and really never knew what direction golf would take me. You know, after college, I was in engineering, 
And, um, you know, I told the story at the retreat, you know, Mike Adams was the one that got me into golf. I used to take golf lessons from him and he, Mm -hmm. he saw a passion in me and he just said, you know, he talked to me one day and he said, you'd make a good golf professional. And that was really the start of an introduction to the game as a professional and, um, you know, the rest is history. So I, I I owe a lot to Mike for seeing something in me that maybe I didn't see at the time. You know, I, 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 uh, Mike's had such an influence on so many of us, myself included, been a great sounding board. And, uh, and I was fortunate, as you know, like to come up under some guys that saw stuff in me that, that, that I did, I, I know I didn't see in myself. Uh, but when you talk about like, hey, you know, he, he saw that I'd be a good professional. What do you think that means, like nowadays, for us, for like with young teachers coming up, or or even people playing? What do you think does it mean to have in you what it takes to be a good professional? Well, I think number one is passion, and I think that's what Mike saw in me that I had a passion. You know, at the time he was uh, the top uh, teacher in the state of Illinois. He was teaching tour players, and I was just so amazed at all these people that were coming to see him and watch that and so and i think number two a little bit of my engineering background being mechanically inclined so i think number one you have to have a passion and then number two i always say if you're going to be good at something just like you were saying the upbringing of other professionals that helped you along the way we we need help but also if you're going to be good you have to want to do it on your own and that's what i did i went out and seek the best teachers. I took lessons from them. I watched them. And and that's, you know, the neat thing for the young professional today, and really all professional is, you can learn so much online today, which you and I couldn't do back in our day. I mean, I enjoy, you know, like you said, you like doing this for a stingy reason. You know, I'm the same way. Like, I listen, listen to your podcast and other podcasts. I study stuff online. I listen online. And you can learn so much. And and so I was driven. I wasn't really driven to be the best, but I wanted to be the best that I could be. And that was really the start of it. So I think for young professionals, they have to have the passion. I think, number two, it takes time. And what I always say, when you start out when you're young, you're learning and your only knowledge is who you learn from. And so you know their way. But then as we mature, and I always say it takes at least 10 years to really be good at teaching, I think, then you start mm-hmm. to develop your way of teaching, your way of communicating. And, uh, and you know, and, it's, and that's how it is today. I mean, you look at all of us, we're all different, but at the end of the day, we accomplish the same objective. Yeah, it, I, think it's, I think it's cool. You know, I'm a big believer in it. You know, like when I – you got to figure out how to do it your way, don't you think, and be yourself. Because I've had times where, heck, I tried to be what I thought you needed to be at the time and be more like somebody else, and, and it was a epic failure, right? I wasn't very good at it. But I, I think that's one of the real key things. I, I tell young yeah, teachers I, all the time, you got to figure I out think, what you believe. Yeah, And, and be I yourself. think that's, that's where you're good. You're great at being yourself, and I think that's what people admire about you, which is me. And I think one thing I learned when I was younger, you know, I'd maybe criticize what other people taught, but I I will not do that anymore because I've learned there are so many ways to swing a golf club. There's so many ways to hit a bunker shot. 
and we got to find what's the best way for that person in front of us to do it. And, you know, we've learned from everybody, and we know 10 ways to, to teach a standard bunker shot, and we got to find what's the best way to do it. And I might have to use somebody else's approach, and I think that's the great part of learning and being good at our craft. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's cool to me to hear from somebody like all of this stuff now. Like you know, everybody gets so polarized. I mean, it's not just politics in the world, but it's golf too. Like you know, like like what you just said that there's more than one way to do things, and like you know, like it's okay to disagree with somebody and be like, I wouldn't teach that guy that way. But like, it's okay to have different approaches. That's what makes us all different, and and. Not every person is is the same, and that's why there's different ways to do things, you know? Yeah, you have to have an open mind, and because you might be teaching somebody to do something, and and, the, and they don't get it. It's like, you know what, this doesn't work, and uh, so you gotta you got to be smart to try a different way, because otherwise, if you only know one way to do it, I think you're going to fail as a golf professional and a teacher and as a coach. So... What other talk about some of the other folks that you've learned from? Obviously, Mike, huge influence on you and so many others. What are some? I mean, you obviously been around a long time. Doesn't mean you're old. Just means you've been doing it a long time for sure. And uh, what what some of the people that have had influence on you? The things that you've taken and learned from some of these folks. Yeah, really. You know, I started out with Mike, and what was neat when when we were at Bloomington Country Club in Bloomington, Illinois. He had a golf school called Swing Dynamic Golf Schools, and he would do these golf schools with other instructors. So I was doing golf schools when I was new in the business with Hank Haney and Dave Pels and David Ledbetter and Mike Hebron, and to name a few that, you know, Mike would do stuff with. And so I started learning from a lot of different people. Uh, Jim McLean had a big uh, influence on my career. Um, in 1992, I believe it was, I was the teaching professional at Cherry Hills Country Club, and Jim started his golf schools down at Drow, and he knew that, because when I worked for Mike, I'm a very organized, detailed person, so I would oversee the golf schools, and so Jim hired me to uh, at Drow to help him start up his golf schools, and that started a friendship. And then Jim McLean, Butch Harmon, Craig Harmon, and I, for probably about 10 years, we would do the advanced education uh, for the PJ of America. You know, from there, we would bring guest speakers in. So it might have been Mike Bender. It might have been Todd Anderson. You know, and the list went on. So I always say, you know, I've learned something from everybody, and I always, and it, and it might be just how they communicate. It might be, you know, I, I've spoken at a handful of the PJ teaching and coaching summits, and I remember the first one I spoke at, I wanted to be prepared, and I I was always amazed how well of a speaker Gary Wyron was. And I asked him one day, I said, how do you prepare for your speeches? And he said, I rehearse them at least 50 times. And I'm like, wow. And and I swear I rehearsed mine about 35 times the first time because I did not want to embarrass myself. But doing that made me a better teacher. Um, spent some time with Hank Haney. Hank and I um, did ESPN golf schools together for a while. And then, uh, you know, we went to Australia together and spoke at uh, the Australian PGA Summit for three days, which was fun because a lot of smart professionals in Australia. 
Yeah. So it's really, it's, it's, you know, the list goes on of just everybody that are, that I've learned from and they've learned from me and et cetera. You know, I, I always tell folks that as a coach and a teacher, I think some of the best stuff I've learned, I've learned from the players I've taught, you know, and just how they approach things, how they do things, shots they hit. You Hall of Fame career, you taught some of the best players in the world. What what are some of the things you've picked up and you've learned and some tidbits from players that you've taught? Yeah, so really a lot of my success early on uh, was a, a lot of time on the LPGA Tour. So I worked with Julie Inkster, Meg Mallon, Beth Daniel, Kari Webb, Wendy Ward, Pat Hurst, and Dana Dorman, just a lot. I mean, Jen Stevenson, the list goes on and on. And uh, you're right because – and then I worked with other – I worked with Brant Job on the PJ Tour, Scott McCarron on the PJ Tour, um, Gary Hallberg, Tom Percher. So all of those guys and gals you learn from. So for, you know, Julie Inkster, and when I look at Julie, and even I, a few years ago I went out and – was teaching a handful of guys on the Champions Tour. So I look at Julie Inkster, and I spent a lot of time with Tom Kite, and both of them, you know, late, later in their careers, both of them, their worth ethic today is just as much as it was when they were rookies. They still thrive to get better at golf. They yeah. feel they can get better. They work hard at it. So when I look at someone like Julie, I look at somebody that's just, it's work ethic. And, desire of wanting to excel and wants to beat everybody. It doesn't matter if it's playing ping pong or playing golf and, and believes she can do it. You know, and then I, I, I look at, you know, I pretty much taught Meg Mallon her entire career when she was on tour. And, you know, if you talk to Meg today and said, what'd you learn from Mike McGetrick? She would probably say he taught me how to practice. And, and making mm -hmm. practice fun. And I think that the biggest thing that if you look at all the tour professionals I've taught through the years, almost every one of them have won at least once, if not multiple times. You know, so that's something that I'm proud of. And I think the biggest part of success most of them had with me way back when is I would develop good practice training programs for them. And and how to practice competitively and, and get good at it. And like Julie would probably also tell you that what I taught her was how to score and how to win tournaments with her C swing. Because Julie was always about hitting it great. And I finally said, Julie, you can have your C swing and still shoot an A score and go out and play great golf and win a tournament. And she finally accepted that. Because sometimes she'd spend the whole tournament trying to figure her golf swing out. I think, and I think all the technology. I think junior golfers and up and coming golfers are even worse at that because they can watch it so much and they can read so much about it. And uh, you know, when it comes to a practice plan or putting together uh, good practice habits, what are some of the things that you that are you know that you recommend or that are commonalities of people that practice the best or that you've had the most success with? Well, yeah, and I think, you know, most of, you know, it's interesting, like when we were at the Golf Magazine Retreat or if we're at the PJ Teaching and Coaching Summit, some, a lot of times we're talking about high performance and what the best in the world do, but, you know, the majority of our teaching is the everyday golfer. 
So I always have rules for practice. So I always tell golfers that rule number one, and it doesn't have to be in this order, is practice something different every time you practice. Because most people practice the same thing every time. And I'll give you an example. One year I was teaching Gary Hallberg in Denver, Colorado, and he always wanted to work on his golf swing. And I said, why don't we do some putting today? And he said, oh, my putting's great. I said, so on a scale one to ten, oh, just overall, what's your putting? He said, oh, an eight. So I took out a piece of paper. On the top of the paper, I wrote out um, distance control, direction, direction control, pre-shot routine, reading greens, practice habits, uphill putts, downhill putts, left to right, right to left, short, medium, long putts, slow greens, fast greens, bent grass, Bermuda grass. Then on the left-hand column, I did a scale of 1 to 10. And I said, now go through and rank each one of these. And after he got done, he's like, you know what? I'm not a very good putter because he had some fives, some sixes, some sevens. So for the better player, that's how much I break it down. So getting back to it, I, I want people to practice something different every day. So, for example, what I do is I go to work an hour uh, before my first lesson. When I get to work, I get my teaching base set up. I get whatever I have to do in the office. And I try to spend 20 minutes a day doing something different. So, for example, I might hit balls for 20 minutes. Next day, I'm going to hit greenside bunker shots for 20 minutes. Next day, I might putt for uh, 20 minutes. And so I tell golfers, if you do something different every day, you're going to have balance in your golf your golf game. Yeah, so that's number one. Number two, I tell them to practice your weaknesses more than your strengths. Because most people practice your strength, their, their strengths more than their weaknesses. And I remember one year I was teaching Tom Percher at TPC in Scottsdale. And, you know, Tom was, as you know, was a great ball striker, but putting was a weakness of his. And so we're down at the back of the range and you've been down there. And, there, and so anyway, we're, we're working on putting. And I said, Tom, I got to go use the restroom. I take the cart and go back to the clubhouse. I come back. What's Tom doing? He's out hitting golf shots because he didn't want to work on putting. So I always say if you practice your weaknesses a little bit more than your strengths, but not neglect your strengths, then they become, they will become strengths, right? And next rule I tell golfers, practice harder shots more than easier shots. So meaning, you know, a, a three-foot putt's easier to practice than a 60-foot. You know, a short bunker shot, you know, a standard bunker shot's easier than a long bunker shot. So I always say practice harder shots more than easier shots. And then, you know, the big part where I think I've been successful is competitive practice versus um, fundamental practice. And because most people just work on their fundamentals. So I always try to give them competitive drills and teach them how to practice more in a playing environment so they can measure their performance. And that's really how every golfer gets better. And something I do is, you know, the tour uses 5 to 7% for proximity to the hole or dispersion. So I might take an average golfer and use 8 to 10%. And so, for example, I'll take a golfer that maybe is a 15 handicap, and I said, okay, we got a 100-yard shot here. How close do you think you hit it? should hit it. And they're going to say, mm, five feet. And I said, well, the tour is at 5%. So that's five yards or 15%, 15 yard, fifteen feet. I said, that's the best in the world. I said, you need to use 10%. So 
that's 10 yards or 30 feet. And, it, and then I'll say, okay, hit me 10 balls here and see what you do. And, and they're think, they think, well, I'll, I'll get six out of 10, and then they won't do it. So I think competitive practice is really important. And so that's some of the things I do, and, and I'll, I'll do a few other things. But I think if you can teach people how to properly practice, they're going to get better. Agree, and and, and I, I spend a lot of time. Uh, I spend a lot of time with my young players in particular, just designing little practice plans for them so that they have a little bit of structure when they go. Because I find Mike that like folks feel like the only way that they're really practicing is they're just out there for a long time, you know. And and, oh, and I've been and I've been out there with them, and then you watch and you're like, well, after a certain amount of time, like you can tell they're not even engaged or they're you know, they're going through the motions. So I've, I've, and I don't know that it's any better than any other practice, but, like, if you give them a specific task and a structured practice and they go do it and they hit their 50 balls doing one thing, then they're done, you know. But, like, I totally agree with you, and I love it. Like, uh, I mean, they don't – most people don't know how to practice, even even lots of really good players. Oh, I agree, yeah. I mean, some of the best in the world, and – but uh, it makes a difference. And, you know, like when I was telling you with Meg Mallon, she said it made it made it fun. It made practicing fun. You know, they mm-hmm. have a, a purpose when they go out there. Well, you see, you mentioned uh, another topic you brought up that just piqued my interest um, because it, it, it just appeals to any player. But you talked about helping Julie Inkster, you know, understand that you can win with your C game. You know, you don't have to have your A game. Uh, I've had players, we've all had, where, man, they're just totally fixated on they've got to hit it perfect. How, how did, one, how did you, heck did you get that point across? And that's such an important thing for anybody that's coming up, whether you're teaching or playing, to understand that you don't have to hit it perfect to play good golf. Yeah, I'd, I'd say a couple things. You know, number one, it was interesting. Like all the years I taught Meg Mallon, Whatever I worked with Ron, even if I was at a tour event, the minute the tournament started, she never thought about mechanics at all. And so I tell people, you know, like Julie, I say, you practice one way, you play another way. And I think the first thing that's difficult for people to understand is that what they've trained, they don't trust that it'll hold up on the golf course. And so when they go out and play, they think the only way to do it is think about it. Well, you know, in, in your routine, you can have a soft thought about that. So one thing I always do with almost everybody when I teach golf is I have them take a practice swing before every shot. And I want them to think about what it is they're working on. And then number two, I want them to rehearse it. So now they have a thought and they have a kinesthetic feel of what they're going to do. And I tell them, it'll, now it's in your short-term memory and it'll last maybe upwards to 30 seconds. So now when you get up over the golf ball, your mind and body already knows what it's going to do. And so, and that's hard for people to do, but once they can understand that, they're going to play good golf. Now with Julie, so I would I would say to her, say, okay, how many times have you played in a tournament and had your A swing where you just hit it extremely well? And she, just like everybody, say very often, Right. Not too often. And then you say, well, what about your B swing? Well, some of the time. But it's more kind of that B minus swing that they play with. And so I think getting her A to understand that 
you know, then B, you know, you've talked to a lot of good players and you ask them, how many good shots did you hit in a round of golf? And that number could be anywhere from 8 to 11. So one thing I have good players do and I have the everyday golfer do when they get done playing, I have them count how many good shots, just I'm meaning full swing shots, did you have? And, and most even average golfers will have somewhere to eight, 8 to 11 shots. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And so with Julie, I would just get her to think about scoring, get her thinking about hitting golf shots. And I can't tell you how many times I would talk to her on Saturday night and she'd say, what do you think it's going to take? And I'd say, you know, you're going to have to shoot 65 tomorrow to win this tournament. Dang, if she didn't go out there and shoot 65 and win the tournament. And what was neat about Julie was she trusted what I gave her. So if I asked her, you know, I want, for example, I had her hit all her bunker shots, which I believe she still does today with a 10 finger grip because she can, if you ever watch her hit bunker shots, they're, they're a lower trajectory. But when she yeah. would use a 10 finger uh, grip, she could lever the club up, get it a little steeper and get the ball up. And she wouldn't even challenge me on it. She said, you know what? I like it. I will do it. Then you take somebody like Beth Daniel or Akari Webb, they want to know why. So if you, and, and you know, you talked earlier, what did you learn from players? Kari Webb and Beth Daniel made me a, a better teacher because if I told them something, they wanted to know why, and I better have the answer, or otherwise they're not going to be working with Mike McGettrick too long. That's true. That's true. And, and you know, you got to have the answer. And, uh, but, you know, it's on another point, too, and I tell folks all the time, is like, sometimes there's nothing wrong with saying you don't know you're going to get the answer and come back rather than making something up. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm that person. I, I can't tell you how many times with good players you, I'd ask another teacher that was out there or I would send a video and say, you know, what would you do in this situation? Because sometimes, you know, we need a fresh set of eyes and different ideas because we look at the same thing over and over and we tend to mm -hmm. overlook. Where, you know, if I watch somebody hitting golf balls and you're watching somebody hitting golf ball, balls, my eyes going in a different uh, direction and a different part of their swing than yours, we might mm -hmm. get to the same place. But a lot of times we're looking at something different. Yeah, I think it's healthy. I, I You know, I have a handful of people like all the time. Uh, we were talking before we came on about, you know, Old Palm and Mark, you know, teaching with Mark Hackett and buddies like Wayne Flint and Mark Wood and uh, Mike Adams, like all the time, like I'll, I'll just, I'll pull up a video and say, Hey, look at this guy. Like, what do you, what do you think? You know, like, Hey, I haven't been able to get him to do this. And, and uh, um, you know, it's, it, it's amazing how sometimes just like, and we're trying to do the same thing most of the time, but just a different set of eyes and a different perspective is, is healthy. And I think that, I think it's good for more players and teachers to do that but to do it in the right way. I don't know that a player around from teacher to teacher getting info without <laughs> consulting and doing it the right way is healthy either. Yeah, and it means you care, number one, and it's it's the livelihood of the player because we're trying to get them to be the best they can be, right? And, right. You know, and it does. It, ta it takes a team today. I mean, that's the, the tour is so different. I can remember – Back in the day, of, you know, I would teach nine to 12 professionals a year, 
But today it's different because now you're out there and they want you out there. You look at some of these teachers, the Mark Blackburns of the world. I mean, basically, it's almost your career of being out there. And so you got to decide and like what you do, do I want to be out on tour X amount of weeks a year? Because it's a full-time commitment now. Let let me ask you this because I've I've gone, I've had years – with Lucas and some of the guys a couple of years ago where I I was out there almost every week and now I've got some young and now like in our profession we get fired a bunch and you you, you know I've got a bunch of young guys okay. where they're doing very and stuff and you're not going as much do you, what do you think as what you know you in your career you've watched kind of that evolve and change where guys are out have to be out there all the time do you necessarily think that that evolution has necessarily been good for the player where they have access to us every week out there on tour? I think it it obviously depends on the individual, but I think you take a guy like Vijay Singh, for example. He always, yeah. you know, he always said, I'm the one hitting the golf shots. I'm out there by myself. I'm the one that has to figure it out. So I like that in a player. I, I'd rather mm-hmm. be out there less with them and have them figure it out and I think they become better because what happens is when you're out on tour with them, they rely on you. And then when you're with them, they want you to say something even when you don't want to say something. And sometimes even though you don't want to say something and you feel like things are good, you end up saying something. And then you're like, why did I just tell them that? Right. And, right. And, and it's hard. I remember being at a tournament several, probably five years ago with Kari Webb in um in Dallas and she was struggling a little bit and it was really, you know, she wanted me to give her something. And so I saw her grip was just a little stronger than normal. And I changed it just a little bit. And this is the day before she's going out to play and it was not the right thing to do. And, Oh, did I get my butt chewed out when she got done now? But, but I will tell you someone like Julie Inkster, I'd talk to her on the phone, and she'd say, well, I'm struggling a little bit. And I would give her something to do, and dang, if she wouldn't go out there and play great golf because she felt confident that she had something. So I think it depends on the player. And, you know, then if, you know, now these players out there, they have multiple coaches. If it's a full swing coach, a short game coach, mental, their physio out there. So, I mean, right. the team is out on tour now. I mean, what's your thought on that? You know, I think it's been interesting. Why, like, I, I watch. You know, I think it is case by case. Um, I do think that players become dependent on you a little bit instead of taking ownership. Um, one yeah. interesting thing to me is like Andy Ogletree, who we'd worked together college um, and, and through the Masters as an amateur and turned pro, and then he left for a while and he came back. Uh, and and he's played really good again, but he you know because of all the live stuff and everything he's over playing the Asian tour, and so he goes on these three or four week stretches, um, where you know like the time difference is so hard. It's not like we you have tons of interactions, you know, and and I think he's playing some of the best golf and swinging the best I've ever seen him, because I think that I think that's a good thing to be able to have to go off and. You know, I've just watched where, like, he's done maybe the best job I've ever seen him do it, actually just sticking to what we're working on because maybe there isn't as much ability to tinker. And you're going to send a few videos, but 
you know, and some of the young guys on the corn ferry going down to, you know, Central America, South America, and, you know, they don't, you know, they're gone for four weeks playing and that. Like, I think some, I think there's some really good, especially for young players, to where it's sending them off where they have their information and they kind of got to learn to play golf and do it themselves. I guess is a long way to say about it. No, I agree. And I, I look at that, you know, another thing is if you look at professional tennis, you know, they most coaches have maybe one to two players at most, right? right? In golf, now it's starting to be like that. I mean, it used to be you would have multiple players. You know, another thing that was tough when you're out there is is time and, and availability that, you know, I, I remember one year uh, I was out at one of the Solheim Cups and I had Meg Mallon, Beth Daniel, Julingster, Pat Hirsch, Wendy Ward. I had five of the 12 players I was coaching on the Solheim Cup. And and I remember Wendy Ward fired me uh, on the team bus because she said, Mike, you aren't spending enough time with me. And, yeah. and she, at the end of the day, she was right because other players, you know, when you're out there, they want more of your time and, you know, they get a little stingy with it. So that's hard, too. I don't I don't know how some of these guys that, uh, you know, have four or five players out there. I think that's the hardest part is the time management. Yeah, I, I, I did a bad job of it. I, I, I tell people like, I, you know, you know, I think we get to be a victim of our success. Right. Guy gets playing good. You know, I had, uh, you know, a couple, few years ago, I had Lucas and Bill Haas, and at one point I had Sepp Straka, and, um, you know, I had Andy coming up making starts, and, you know, had uh, you had a few, Smiley was still out, you know, you had all these people, and and, and uh, Brandon Hagee for a year was helping, so, like, you know, and, and I think that what I didn't do is, like, you assume that one guy that's kind of playing good is okay, you know? Right low maintenance and uh because they're low maintenance and they seem big you know and then you don't give them enough time and then next thing you know they're they're not happy and they they go somewhere else where you know would have been way better off to probably not have a couple of the extra people and then just done a really good job with two or three of them you know i i i, I ask teachers all the time that question like what do you think is the right number of good players to have because it's uh, and I guess that's got to be individual by teacher and by player. Uh, but I mean, I, I just, you know, I, four to five to me is, is too many nowadays. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Well, I, I think when I remember when I was spending some time with Hank Haney, when he, it was funny when we, we were doing the, um, the ESPN golf schools, we were doing training with my staff and his staff and nobody knew at the time that he was, uh, teaching Tiger. This was right when he started teaching Tiger and, and, boy, once the, the owner of the ESPN Golf Schools, when he found out Hank was teaching Tiger, I mean, Hank became the man of what we were doing right. because of Tiger Woods, right? But I remember, yeah, right. yeah, I, I think Hank told me that when he started teaching Tiger, it was just the two of them, you know, and he, he I think that's why he quit working with Marco Mira because he was spending more time just with Tiger. But yet, uh, you know, Mark and Hank had a great relationship, which I'm sure they still do. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just it's different today. And I think if you're out on tour, you you got to be a tour coach. And that you know that's another thing with these young teachers listening is what do you want to specialize in? And and I think that's where I changed my career probably X amount of years ago. I decided that 
I'm going to quit teaching tour players. I'm going to quit uh, doing talks for the PGA of America, traveling, doing outings. Not, I shouldn't say quit, but cutting back because right. I wanted more time for myself and my family. And yeah. and we get going in so many different directions, and it's like we neglect the things that are important. Then we suffer. Yeah, I agree. I've done that, and I, I look back after, you know, you have a good five, six, whatever year run, and you're like, well, hell, I've been, you know, Mike, I've I've been all over the place, traveled all over the world, so, and, you know, making you know, make a decent living, but, yeah. heck, I mean, you're getting older, I mean, and you you want to do things like, heck, I like, heck, I like to spend a little time in Key West trying to learn how to fish, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'd rather that a little bit more and spend well, time yeah. with my daughter and my yeah, well, that's uh, that's where I am right now. My wife and I are members at Ocean Reef Club, which you've been to, and oh, I love down that. Here. How great! Yeah, and I'm down. I'm down here for two months, and I hit golf balls every day. I probably play <laughs> three, four times a week. I exercise. I fish. I play pickleball, and and I enjoy that. It's fun to just have two months of recharging and getting ready for the year. But you know what? My younger days. I would have never done this. No, twenty four seven, you know, going all over the world, and uh, then I look back and I'm like, life goes by too fast. Yeah, it does. It goes by quick, doesn't it? I mean, look yeah. how many pros you talk to about and that don't play golf. Right. And well, I'm and, I'm trying to I'm forcing myself down at Old Palm now, uh, you know, to hit more and play more. You know, yeah. I mean. It, you almost have to create time to do that yourself, I think, you know? Most definitely. And it, and it's great for the mind, your soul. That's uh, great exercise. And then you find out, you know what? You still got a golf game in you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Mike, this has been some awesome stuff. First of all, once again, congratulations. Uh, so well-deserved. I mean, I, I've enjoyed the opportunities I've had to talk with you and to learn from you and to and to watch you and have so much respect for what you've done and uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on. I don't know if I could have been pried away down at Ocean Reef from being out there on the water or doing something. I, I mean, think that's why I kept neglecting calling you. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I got to get this done. No, I don't blame you. If, if, yeah. I don't blame you. I, I snuck down. I snuck down. My wife thinks I'm crazy. Jimmy Buffett played the other night, last night in Key West on Saturday, and I oh, my nice. fishing down. My fishing buddy Juice, give him a shout out, uh, Captain Juice. He he was like, you got to come for this. I went down there, went to the concert, hung out a night. It was good for the soul just to go down there, have a few beers, hear a little music, and hang out in the Keys, even if it's for a day. It's good for you. I'll tell you what, if I would have known he was down here, I would have joined you. That would have been fun. I'm a Jimmy. Oh my God. Fan. It, it would have been, it would have been great. But, uh, again, I appreciate everything. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the friendship and, uh, hoping that in the next year or so we can do something together it would be a blast. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I enjoy listening to, uh, yourself and all your guests you have. And, uh, thanks, uh, for everything you do for golf. I appreciate it, Mike. Look forward to catching up soon. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this edition of The Tour Coach and this conversation that we brought to you about playing, learning, and teaching the game of golf. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Tour Coach. 
in between now and next week, make sure you follow us on our social channels. You can always find me at the Dew Sweeper on Instagram or go to our YouTube page where you'll see a scene and a video from my teachings daily on our YouTube channel. You can find that by looking up Tony Ruggiero and the Dew Sweepers on YouTube. Until then, make sure you follow and check out Everything Tour Coach and all our sponsors, Shrixon Cleveland Golf, Bushnell, Vineyard Vines, and Buick GMC. I'll be back next week to help all of us appreciate, learn, and enjoy the game of golf.